Hi, Chinyamaji family. This week on the podcast, we had the privilege of hosting Jason Carmichael, co-founder and CEO of Tibu, a platform for decentralization of primary patient healthcare by connecting patients to high-quality, affordable healthcare whenever they need it. You can say it's the Uber for healthcare. Jason has a master's degree in public health from the University of British Columbia and experience working for the World Health Organization Emergency Response, where his passion for making a difference in the health sector grew exponentially, leading him in this path. Tibu's self-assessment tool that allows people to assess if they should seek medical attention is a huge asset during this COVID-19 pandemic and has helped control unnecessary movement and panic among people who may think they are infected with the virus. Jason's story is one you definitely don't want to miss out on. Enjoy the podcast. How you guys doing, Chinemagi family? This is uh, the Chinemagi podcast, your host, Mark Karaki. Super excited to be bringing you yet another episode of the podcast. And this week is an interesting week. We are caught in the COVID-19 uh, situation and we are actually recording the podcast remotely and my guest is also remote we are really practicing this social distancing thing and thankfully for te- because of technology we can actually still you know record a podcast and uh, make it available for you guys so yeah this week we have Jason Kimical who is the co-founder at Tibu which is in their own words Uber for healthcare Right. And basically, they decentralize primary outpatient care. And without saying too much, I will let Jason introduce himself and tell us what is it that Tibu does. Jason? Hi, Mark. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having uh, me. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, so what we do at Tibu is uh, we decentralize primary outpatient health care. So rather than the patient having to go to the hospital or the clinic, what we've done is we've engineered uh, um, health kits, which are now patent pending, and we use those and licensed healthcare workers to bring the clinic directly to the patient wherever they may be. And we do this quickly and we do this in a very affordable manner. Cool, awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, healthcare distribution is such a topical thing right now. Um, and uh, I guess my first question is, given the current situation with, with COVID-19, what are you experiencing in terms of maybe even just demand uh, or, or what, what is happening in your world given, the, given that you play in the healthcare space? Um, well, well, there's definitely a lot of relevance with our model and um, general um, outbreak responses. Uh, COVID is, 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 no, is no different, um, especially with COVID. We, uh, you know, WHO best practices says that, you know, if we can keep, um, you know, non-critical patients out of hospitals and healthcare facilities, out of public transport and in their homes and care for them in their homes um, and monitor their, them in their homes, um, then it really does help with um, reducing the spread and the transmission. And so our platform, you know, our two mobile apps, um, we've built a, ses- a self-assessment tool uh, for COVID-19 that um, can be found on the app. Um, it, it is quite relevant and, um, you know, we, uh, we remain ready to work with any of the partners um, that would see um, the Tibu platform as being able to assist 
um, with with this emergency response. Uh, we think the Ministry of Health has been doing a tremendous job um, with the measures that they've put in place. Um, it's a gargantuan task, um, what they're doing, but so far they've, they've been addressing it head on and they've been really um, making some good progress and taking some really serious measures to get this under control. Um, and, and we stand ready to help in any way, in any capacity that we have with the tools and the platform that we have. Good stuff. Well, that's that's really responsive. If you guys already have what you call a self-evaluation kit or process in your in your apps. Yeah. So it's a self-assessment. Um, you know, we've borrowed this from the, the government of Canada, and it is not a test. Uh, at all. We, we do not test and we do not treat COVID. We need to make that very clear. Um, that is the Ministry of Health's purview. But we do provide uh, information and the right information to people that is based on WHO best practices. And uh, the self-assessment tool allows people to um, just to understand where they might be at and if they need to seek additional um, additional help from the authorities, from the health, uh, the public health care sector. And so it allows them to assess whether or not they should or have been exposed and whether they should seek additional steps. So it's a very practical tool. Um, right. and, and we would encourage people as a first step um, to, to check it out. Awesome. Cool. So um, you are obviously operating out of Nairobi because, um, you know, Chidi Amaji podcast is really about the Nairobi ecosystem, startup ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess where are you located? I mean, why, why Nairobi and, and, and how did you end up here? Yeah, so it might be useful to talk a little bit about my background real quick to see how uh, I ended up uh, here. So um, I, I'm trained in public health from the Faculty of Medicine at the University of British Columbia. Um, the last five years I've been with the World Health Organization um, on the continent. Um, it, it, mostly with the emergencies department. So responding to the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, cholera in Ethiopia. Most recently, I was based in the Democratic Republic of Congo for two years, where, among other things, um, supporting their response to Ebola, CVDPV2, uh, measles, rabies, um, a variety of different outbreaks. So that's really my, my background is in strategic planning uh, and operations for, for outbreaks. Um, and so prior to my WHO, uh, life, so to speak. I was uh, based in Kenya, scaling an M Health program in northern Kenya with uh, Welltel International M Health Society and AMREF Health Africa. So uh, I more or less started in Kenya, um, and Kenya uh, quickly became a, a long-term love affair for me, so to speak. Um, and so I've always continued coming back. There's the tech adoption and the tech literacy, and, and people are just incredibly switched on in Kenya. So for somebody starting a health tech company, it's it's a it's an automatic fit, you know, choosing Kenya as a place to base your operations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So public health career um, on the front lines of uh, of public health well, on the continent, and then switching uh, onto the entrepreneurship track. Uh, what 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 was were you did you always was that always part of the plan, or was it? How did that evolve? Yeah, it wasn't really part of the plan, so to speak. You know, it was um, it was a moonshot of an idea, so to speak, that um, that started nagging me uh, in 2016. Um, the WHO is is a is a phenomenal organization with. Um, an incredibly talented pool of individuals working there, the best in the world, really. Um, and so it was, it was difficult uh, leaving the WHO um, 
because of, uh, of those factors. But at the same time, um, there were certain questions that I had that I was not able to answer and move forward um, during my time there. And so I decided to take the big leap um, last year, November, um, and which is when myself and the entire team went full time to, um, to push Tibu forward. We had been working on Tibu for two and a half years prior to last November, um, you know, as a part time thing while we all had our normal jobs. And um, we received uh, some pre seed funding uh, from a Japanese based uh, venture capital firm. And uh, that's when we all jumped ship and we decided to say, hey, you know, let's. Uh, Let's push this moonshot forward and see um, see how far we can push to decentralize outpatient care. Awesome. And and so, how big is is the team? Right now, we're six full time, um, and uh, we're hoping to expand that um, quite a bit in the in the coming while. We have about a dozen um, healthcare workers that are uh, licensed, trained, that we have trained as well um, on our kits, on our tech platform, that are uh, that are ready to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know who uh, your seed investor is, uh, Rio. Uh, yeah, I, you know, so if I, I definitely have to plug Rio. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing, and 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 I think he's a real anomaly of an investor. Um, right. And I think we need especially for these markets. Absolutely, absolutely. We need more anomalies in Africa. We need more Rios on the continent. We need more Keppels on the continent. There's a critical gap that he is willing to fill. Um, you know, the, the startups on the continent, not all startups, but, you know, the early stage startups, we don't need half a million dollars to get things going. You'd be surprised at what mm-hmm. people can do with $50,000, $20,000 um, and really uh, springboard these startups. And he's, um, he, he's definitely an anomaly. And uh, it's thanks to, to Keppel Africa Ventures that we are able to, um, to push this, uh, this project forward in a big way. Yeah, I mean, when I came across Rio uh, through through networks and had a chance to sit down with him and understand his uh, his their approach and how they're thinking about the opportunity. Uh, initially, my my expectation was, yeah, you know, most people will come to Africa and and assume that it, it will it will behave and look and feel uh, like you know the mature markets from a startup standpoint. But mm-hmm. he he's a his understanding of of the situation and the approach and their fit for the for the opportunity is, is quite uh, is quite impressive, and like you said, it, it is what we need in this market, right? Like you, you mentioned, it fifty thousand dollars goes a long, long way for what I would call uh, uh, if you find the right founder, market fit, or situation, people can do an, an amazing amount with fifty k. So so kudos to him, and kudos mm-hmm. to to him finding you guys. And mm-hmm. It sounds like you guys were just waiting for that initial uh, injection of belief. And, uh, and dry powder to make the move, right? Yeah, it's a real catalyst. Uh, it's absolutely a real catalyst. Cool. So, so since November, you guys have gone full time. Um, what's that been like uh, now that you're gone from, you know, <laughs> working part time to, I guess, working full time? What, what's what's that transition been like for you guys? Um, you know, to be honest, Mark. Uh, it, you know, it's incredible. Like, so, so this starting a company um, and, and actually trying to get it moving. I knew it was going to be challenging and difficult. I never imagined it would be this challenging and this difficult. And this is even me speaking Mm. in comparison to, you know, large scale emergency operations. Like this is, it's a whole other beast, but at the same time, I will say it is 
an enormous amount of fun. Um, and it's, it's, you know, you get home at night and you're exhausted, but it's a good exhausted. I mean, you, right. you're super jacked at the end of these days. Um, you know, so, uh, it, challenging. Yes. Rewarding. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, some of uh, my family members, even they say, Oh, well, you know, you, you quit a, a really good stable job to, to right. enter the world of instability. And I said, yeah, and I couldn't be happier for having done it. Um, so it is, it is scary to take that first big leap, but you know, to any, um, entrepreneurs, I would, um, I would encourage it. And, and even if it fails, you will have grown enormously as an individual. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and you'll be able to get that next, even bigger job, so to speak. So mm. plunge, I would say, take mm. the plunge. And make the move. Yeah. Congratulations to you guys. I mean, it is definitely, uh, an experience, uh, like no other, right? Mm -hmm. Entrepreneur. I mean, I myself, uh, I'm an entrepreneur and, uh, essentially what we do other than this podcast is is impact africa network is is bridging the gap for the zero to one phase mm -hmm. of uh, i guess idea development entrepreneurship uh market entry and if you look at the challenge on the continent is is really how do you activate the young talent to actually get competitive in the entrepreneurship game in the innovation game right mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them come out of school and they have been promised that, you know, go to school, get a good education, get a good job, tick all the boxes and, and, and you'll be fine. And uh, the jobs are not there. And they keep hearing the story about becoming an entrepreneur. But how do you even get started, right? Uh, you're coming out of university or uh, it's your first kind of go round in the real world. And so uh, while Africa has a lot of those opportunities, the gap between I am a young person who wants to who's ambitious, who's driven, who wants to get in the game, mm -hmm. the gap between you and that just like initial getting started process mm -hmm. is so huge just from a knowledge, mindset, resources, network. Yeah. It's just, it is just a huge chasm. And so basically what Impact Africa Network does, it sits in there and provides this innovation fellowships where we, we work on market opportunities. We don't necessarily take entrepreneurs with their ideas. We actually say, look, we can bottoms up work on building uh, projects that become startups and, and, and that type of thing. So it's really about exposing them to that process, but with a safety net, with an environment that is approachable. It's like an internship, but mm -hmm. it's an innovation fellowship where we're building. Companies. So it's a different approach to, to what we do. So that's essentially what we do. And we're set up as a nonprofit for, for, for reasons uh, that I'm sure you'll be familiar with, right? You guys have to mm -hmm. work for some time or do this thing on the side, which yeah. allowed you to actually you know, move it forward. So it's that idea of how do you move something forward and then when you take the plunge. So we, we bridge that that gap for, for our young talent on the continent and allow them to actually learn and actually be part of, of a process and hopefully we will we'll be able to uncover some really exciting opportunities that we can begin to grow, just like Tibu, I'm sure. Um, it sounds like a very, very exciting project. And, and let me kind of let, dive into that a little bit. You've talked about the challenges uh, and difficulty of, of, of being a full-time entrepreneur. Could you talk more specifically around some of those areas? Just unpack that a little bit. You know, some of the things you, you're, you're, you're learning or you are surprised by and, and, and from a perspective where, oh, wow, people can actually learn from your experience or, or some of the things you've seen. Um, yeah, I suppose, um, well, where to start? I think, um, for one, you need to be ready to put in the hours and the sweat and, you know, the, the, the heartbreak and the frustration and, um, you know, 
doing 16, 18 hour days isn't uncommon. So it becomes a little bit of an obsession, so to speak. Um, you know, some, some of the challenges I suppose are, it, it could be having to do with, with hiring, you know, with, you know, you think you find the right talent and then it doesn't work out and then you have to start over that process. And so, you know, it sometimes it feels like you're taking a step backward or two steps backward after taking a step forward, um, you know, trying to get those meetings, trying to land those clients and trying to speak to the right people and, you know, uh, hitting the wall instead of the door and having the door open. Um, you know, you really need to persist, right? You just need to say, okay, well, this person said no great next um, and and you keep pushing forward you know you're the tank and the tank keeps moving forward um, the the investor game uh, I think everybody knows this but it's a particularly painful game um, you know you will be told no a lot and you will um, it, 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 a lot of conversations you think go somewhere they end up not going anywhere so my suggestion would be you know limit expectations but keep having the conversations there's no such thing as talking to too many people any chance you get this is what I do. This is the innovation. This is the problem we're solving. Um, you know, and, and you will land on that person that sees the vision that you see. Mm -hmm. um, those, those are the main frustrations, I suppose, or the main challenges that we've encountered. I, I can't say much with regards to my team, to be honest. I, and, and I say this almost every day when, you know, before going to bed, like, I think I am the luckiest, uh, CEO and co-founder, anywhere because we just got lucky and had uh, a, and have a great team that get along that have a good friendship that you know right. really see the vision and share it um, and you know we've really been complimentary um, along the way so I think I've been uh, quite lucky in that area whereas I know a lot of entrepreneurs maybe less um, but try to find the right fits for your team um, there's a saying that a colleague of mine at McKinsey had used to say was hire slow, fire fast, you know, so if, mm -hmm. you know, you're hiring people and you're trying to find talent and it doesn't work, just, just move on. You can do so in a very tactful and diplomatic way. And it is frustrating, but you know, you got to keep pushing and you got to keep moving forward. Um, I think those would be my main challenge points, you know, just day to day grind stuff, day to day operations that don't just work out. You just keep pushing. You got to be stubborn. You got to be too stupid to quit, so to speak. Yeah, that's that's totally on point. And and in terms of your team, I mean, being able to found with six people, that's that's actually powerful. Um, and I guess you know some people can look at it in, in different ways, right? Like typical startups are two to three people. You guys are six, right? That's an unusual kind of a number of, of people to be to be co-founders. But at the same time, I think it it also has its benefits and and, and, and its advantages. So. Yeah. Did you all come from WHO together or did you guys come from different, how did you guys come together? Yeah, so we're actually three co-founders, Mark. There's uh, the oh. other team members um, oh, are, are just um, founding team members, so to speak. Okay. Um, okay. But no, so we, we um, I, I'm, I'm the health guy. We have our chief medical officer. Um, she's uh, a, a general practitioner, uh, was trained in Senegal um, and she's... Um, now working with us uh, on Tibu, uh, but our two co-founders are um, uh, Peter uh, Gikera. He is a, um, a software engineer extraordinaire. Um, what this man can do in a few hours is sometimes you think the man's a wizard. Um, and we have um, uh, Shiro Theory, 
who um, is our CTO and co-founder as well. Uh, she was uh, she she was uh, pri previously with um, Frontline SMS as the CTO as the CTO there. Okay. Um, and so we initially met, uh, Shira and myself met at a conference in Tanzania uh, quite a few years back. Um, I explained the moonshot idea. She was like, wow, that's really cool. There's relevance with Kenya. Um, and so we kept exploring it. And then she uh, introduced us to, to Peter. Um, and then, you know, the rest is history. We all saw where this is going and see the relevance on the continent. And so we just started building and doing primary research and then starting building the prototypes, the MVPs proof of concepts and we just kept tanking through. Yeah, I mean, that's that sounds like a formidable team for sure. You know, and, you know, one, one of the things that uh, that I think about a lot and people, a lot of people think about is, you know, in your view, why do you, what's, what's your view in terms of local people being able to become, make the move and, and, and jump into entrepreneurship? You know, when, when you look at the landscape, you know, how would you evaluate um, local folks making that leap? Do you do you think they could do more of that? What, what's what's your view on that? In that perspective, just making that move. Um, are you talking about uh, entrepreneurs, like young individuals? Yeah, like like you know. So here's a, here's a scenario. So a lot of us here are very risk averse, right? People yeah. who are from this part of the world, we're 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 kind of not going to make that leap in general just because of the conditions here right it's it's just a tough go yeah um and so most folks are, are going to be very very conservative in making that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial uh move yeah uh, and, and would you say now you've been around for some time when you look at the landscape would you say that's true what's your perspective on 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 the mindset of, of people here versus maybe where you come from or people you you went to school with if i'm to be uh, frank mark um I don't think this is a Kenya or an Africa phenomenon. I think anywhere most people are conservative and risk averse. I think that's just human nature. Um, you know, I, I would venture to say um, that I believe people on the continent and Kenya are more innovative and more are, are better problem solvers and will find solutions to things than possibly people where I'm from. I don't know if this was out of uh, necessity and, you know, the economy might not be, um, you know, as as robust. I'll take, for example, healthcare workers. You know, you have uh, upwards of 40 percent of clinical officers that are unemployed or underemployed in Kenya. Well, they hustle. They have to hustle. They have, you know, four or five gigs. They're hustling. They're solving problems. They're trying to find these opportunities. They're very industrious. Um, and, and I think maybe that's where it comes from is, you know, People are, are hustling to make ends meet. And so that spurs innovation. People are always trying to find solutions to problems here. And so I think in many ways, we might actually be better positioned to have these innovations. The question is, you know, finding them, fueling them and, and building their capacity in business and entrepreneurship to, to take them to the next level. And I think, you know, that's where I think uh, you know, organizations like yours can come in and can really help move things forward. Um, you know, I would also venture to say, and this might get me in hot water, but I will say it anyway, that I believe that the, um, the investment community, the African investment community um, and wealthy African entrepreneurs or people need to do more. We need to start investing into our African startups, into our young African entrepreneurs, rather than take the money overseas. 
invest it on the continent, keep the money on the continent. I am, I am uh, you know, persuaded that the future is here and the big opportunities will be here. Uh, personally, I think the people that can solve the recycling uh, challenge that we have and find a way to recycle, whether it's um, you know biochemical recycling or what have you, these will be the next billionaires on the continent. So there's a tremendous amount of opportunity, but we need wealthy individuals and, and the African, it needs to be led by the African community and rather than have, uh, you know, Canadian VCs or American VCs that don't necessarily understand the context and that sometimes just parachute in. So I think that's where I would encourage our, our, our African entrepreneurs and business leaders to, to, to step up. Yeah, to start to start writing checks, to start actually supporting absolutely uh, who are trying to do to do things, and, and so I guess you know nobody. This it's no secret, right? Most of the if you look at the, the individuals, uh, just like yourself here on in, in this part of the world, who are who are making that move and, and getting that support, uh, you, you know, it's it's generally people from 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 the west, from, from that part of the world, correct? And and there is a gap there, right? And and and. It's it's a complicated thing, right? It's not one story. It's a complicated thing. Like you will actually decide that you want to actually leave your secure uh, WHO situation, job, career, mm-hmm. and make this move. Mm-hmm. I, I I just don't know how many. I, I I just don't believe that too many African individuals who would get to where you are in your career and make that move. It's just such a big big mental gap. Uh, and part of that is psychological, but also yeah. it's also also funding. So being able to 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 execute and what it, what does that actually mean? You know, it, it, it's it's a complicated thing, right? It's like I need to actually believe I can do this. I can I, I can pursue it, and then yeah. I can stay consistent with it, and I can make the move when the opportunity comes. Yeah, it's scary stuff, right? It's it's not for the. It's terrifying. Point. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and but, I, but I, the thing is, <laughs> go ahead. I think I think you're right, and I think this isn't going to happen overnight. Um, I think it, it, it will take time. The more we see um, African startups flourish, and we, the more we see that that possibility is possible, yeah. yes. um, more people will take the leap, and more people will say, "Oh well, you know, uh, Jay did it, or Peter did it, or uh, you know, a guy down the street did it." Well, I'm going to try too because he seems to be getting somewhere, but. You know, when we keep seeing doors shut and people not moving forward, it doesn't help yeah, uh, in general move things forward. So uh, mm-hmm. there's no silver bullet. I think it's just time. And I think um, the wealthy and the business uh, community have a very strategic role to play. And it will right. ultimately help alleviate poverty and, and you know, help uh, development and, and all of these things. It, it will it's absolutely huge. help move things forward. But we need those leaders. Yeah, no question. And that's why what, the other side of why we exist is to actually surface that conversation and drive that awareness and, and, and put, for want of a better term, people's feet to the fire just by exposing them to the reality and telling them this is a journey and it's a massive opportunity at the same time. Yeah. So Impact Africa has this kind of PR, if you will, play. And that's why we do a podcast. That's why we do events like we had Bridge to the Future a couple of weeks ago at the University of Nairobi. Mm-hmm. And what we are looking to do is get those people who are outside the conversation, those needle movers, if you will, wealthy yeah. people, policy people, corporate people into the conversation. Because at the end of the day, Jason, you're focused on moving Tibu forward. You're not going to actually, you don't have the bandwidth, the scope to have these kind of higher level conversations because you need to survive and make the thing work. Correct. So the question becomes, 
whose job is it to do that? And that's so. So Impact Africa has this dual approach where mm-hmm. I when I spent I, I spent many many years in Silicon Valley. So I was I was exposed to a world where it was mature right. and it was doing two things exceptionally well: the macro mm-hmm. and the micro, yeah. which was enabling entrepreneurs through this very robust set of capabilities, including funding and network and support and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it, it had this uh, way of, uh, it had a mindset and a way of, of thinking. It had a culture that that couched everything in a very beautiful way. So it mm-hmm. was mature. So when I looked at Kenya, I was like, wow, there's a lot that needs to happen here. And you've got to be able to do both things at the same time. You've got to get people out of, for want of a better term, the ivory towers and get them closer yeah. into the mix so they can actually see what you guys are doing and what we are doing at Impact Africa. Yeah. And at Impact Africa, we can't just be having these high-level conversations. We need to actually be building sustainable, scalable, amazing companies. So we have yeah. this two-footed approach, and, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. I, and and I, I, we, it's, a, it's a process. We yeah. are at a very, very inciting inflection. I mean, folks like Rio coming into the market and unlocking that that opportunity for individuals like yourself to actually mm-hmm. go full time and actually start doing the thing. So that's really, really exciting. And I'm, I'm glad that there are individuals like you who see it that way, right? Who appreciate what's happening um, and can, can frame it for everybody. And as we, as, we, as we wrap up here, maybe just dive into a little bit more of your business and help us understand, you know, um, what is your go-to-market? Who are the right partners? How should we think about what Tibu is and how... How should the regular Monenchi citizen be part of this process? How do we help? How, how do we make this thing exist? Yeah, uh, great. Um, so initially, we were building, we built Tibu to, to solve two essential problems, right? You have a, an enormous amount of healthcare workers that are either unemployed or underemployed in Kenya. And we thought that it was very strange. Um, that uh, a health system that you know doesn't have enough healthcare workers um, should have such a huge pool of underemployed healthcare workers. So yeah. Yeah. we also have the accessibility problem, right? So when you when you need to go to the, the clinic, what does that involve? So you're either leaving work or you're leaving home. You're going to go sit in traffic. You're going to get to the hospital or the clinic. You're going to sit in the waiting room. Um, you're you might get prescribed uh, meds or requests for labs and different tests that you don't understand. And often we remember the Nairobi women scandal that uh, right. over prescribing and over admitting and you know it's just you know it's a bit of a messy space at the moment. So can we bring clarity to this? You know, can we create? jobs for healthcare workers that are currently underemployed can we make them more money we have healthcare workers some that uh, you know live in poverty i don't think that's normal mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the basic model was you know develop these kits which um, are uh, essentially primary outpatient healthcare facilities in a backpack uh, we're looking working wow. with great local companies uh, to build these and you know Give them to the healthcare workers and give give them the tech platform so that they can control when they're running their business and connect them with uh, people that need the healthcare in their community. And so the algorithm is, you know, the highest rated nearest available doctor gets connected to you Um, and they can do everything on site. So everything that you would be going to your your, your clinic for. So we even do samples. We do rapid uh, diagnostics on site. Um, we have partnered with a, a research level lab in Nairobi, great, great lab called Medlinks uh, in Upper Hill. 
And so they process all of our labs that we can't do on site. And so we're really trying to close the loop with regards to the delivery of care. If we get halfway through a consultation and we say, hey, you actually have to leave your house and go to the lab, well, we failed. So we need to bring everything to the patient and that's what we're, we're really trying to do. Now, um, since COVID, there's been uh, an interesting turn of events, whereas the private sector has um, shown a bit of interest in us. Um, to give health talks, to stop with the spread of misinformation, to do, uh, you know, infection prevention control assessments um, and find the gaps that are in the workplace, um, speak to their to their employees. Um, you know, these are uh, some of the things that we've been doing. For example, today we're with Nairobi Garage. Tomorrow we're doing a live stream with Jumia. Um, and, and then there's also being actively... Um, part of the response, which is something we also have the capability of doing. We just need to have the right conversations, um, you know, and, and same with uh, hospitals. Hospitals can also be our clients because we can connect people after discharge. So when people leave the hospital, what happens? Uh, where's the follow-up with the patient that needs a change of bandage or that needs, uh, you know, a visit in, in a few weeks? Hospitals don't have the follow-up mechanism. And so what we're saying is, well, we have the platform that you can actually schedule the visit before the patient actually leaves and keep track and follow your patient. So there's, there's a variety of uh, uses for our platform, which, you know, weren't entirely clear to us before. But as we scale it or as we roll it out, we're like, oh, wow, you know, this person's contacting us and wants to use it this way. And then this person right. is, wants to use it this way. And That's we're exciting. like, yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of different applicability for this, but um, you know, we, we do need partners to help scale this. You know, if we're talking about responding to emergency outbreaks, well, our strategic partner must be the government um, and, and they're, they're leading it and, and we need to be in support of that. And we would, we wouldn't want to step outside of that. If we're talking about scaling our health kits or working with the private sector, we will need strategic um, financing from uh, VCs, et cetera. So, you know, we have those capabilities. The tech is built. Um, we just need to, to have the right conversations to be able to, to scale the baby, so to speak. Uh, that's so that's so exciting and couldn't be more timely right yeah and it's just it's just a a bigger and bigger opportunity as africa's population increases and now we are in a world where we're in a pandemic scenario right now uh -huh. um, um a couple of questions that maybe i i or some somebody might want to know so what kind of tests would you be able to do like what can i expect from a team healthcare worker what can they do for me why should you know what are the menu of Goodness, they can do. <laughs> quite quite a bit actually. Um, yeah. So, so first off is is the consultation, which is your annual bill of health, your head to toe general checkup, ear, nose, throat, touch, feel, hear, all of these things. We do a very thorough um, checkup. Um, all of this information is stored on the patient's app. So for the first time, and this kind of happened as an afterthought, but. Patients have records on their apps now, and that's uh, securely encrypted according to the best possible international norms that our tech team has used to make sure that you know the patient records are, are, are private and secure. But on site, we can do the head to toe. We can also do a bunch of tests on site. So we currently have uh, seven rapid diagnostic tests that we can do on site. We're quickly expanding that. And because we collect samples on site and the kits are equipped to, with all the tools, uh, I mean, 
same stuff that Aga Khan uses, we do it on site um, to collect blood samples, to collect any samples, and, and we've partnered with the with the, um, the the lab, which has their, their motor courier company that comes and picks up the lab and processes it in their lab, and the results return through our platform to the patient, and the follow-up gets communicated by the physician. So the point here is that what we can't do on site in terms of diagnostics we can do it um, in a decentralized manner and we can send the samples to our lab and the patient doesn't have to go anywhere. The patient is just, uh, you know, in their living room in the comfort of their home home and it gets done in an hour with it, you know, um, rather than eight or nine and losing an entire day in the hospital. So, you know, short answer is uh, pretty, we, we can do a lot, you know, we can, we can do a lot. <laughs> you're, so. You're you're a clinic on wheels, essentially. Basically. Pretty much. So, I mean, you know, coughs, colds, uh, you know, uh, flu headaches, gastroenteritis, uh, rashes, uh, blood tests, uh, stool samples that we can decentralize that. Uh, the the wow. kits are equipped to really go the whole nine. And we did that because our healthcare workers need to need to have the tools to run their own practices. We're saying rather than invest $50,000, $60,000 and build a brick and mortar yeah. establishment, we're saying we'll pre-finance a kit for about $250. Um, we'll pre-finance it and you now have your business. That's exciting. That's right? really, really exciting. And, and just one one final question, just to kind of get a sense of why would it, why would it be more applicable here? Could, some, could a solution like this be applicable in British Columbia, in, in Vancouver or in New York, or is this something unique to Africa? Uh, no, it's not actually. Um, it's just we're we're pushing we're pushing the bar ten times further than where it's currently is. So there's two companies uh, in the U.S. Uh, great companies, Heal and Pager. Between them, I think they've raised about a hundred million dollars in VC funding, and so. Um, they're, they're doing the same thing. It's quite a bit more expensive than us. I believe right. a consultation starts at uh, 100, and 100 or $120. Um, mm -hmm. But we're really pushing the diagnostics. We're pushing the bars to what we can do on site. Um, but so this isn't a new phenomenon. And in fact, I would even go so far to say that this already occurs in Kenya. If you talk to a clinical officer, a healthcare worker, and you ask them how many people get in touch with you on a daily basis through WhatsApp, through the phone, and ask you to come over to their house and deliver healthcare, every single one will say it happens all the time, every single day. Only thing is, is I'm not getting paid for it. And so right. some of the clinical officers, they came up to me and they said, wow, this is brilliant. Rather than doing this over WhatsApp, whoever contacts me, I'm just going to push them to the app and I'll actually get paid for it. That's exciting. That's really, really cool. Man, yeah. I love what you guys are doing. It's so timely. It is the right place at the right time. And I think it's the right team, just from what I hear. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you, you are, you're definitely lucky to have people you have and, and yourself. I mean, you, you just you, you know what you're doing and, and you're going after it in the right way. So, Jason, I, I just want to th say thank you for taking the time just to speak with me and, and to you know, talk to our audience. And I have no doubt that Tibu is going to be huge. Um, if there's anything that Impact Africa Network can do or if, that, that I can do, we, we have a, we're building a network. So we do three things, basically. We develop innovation leaders, we launch startups, and we build community. And that community part is, is, is it's critical. It's that final piece where we bring all the needle movers to the conversation, the people yeah. who are outside the innovation entrepreneurship conversation, who can move the needle. Yeah. That's a strategic uh, move for us and we are we are building that out so always look to us as as a resource if you if, if you think you 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 want to if you think there's somebody you would want to connect with or reach out and just say hey mark we, we would like to kind of be connected with this person or that person and i'll see what i can do i'm not promising anything but 
that is a strategic thing that we are doing over the long term so that we can, we can uh, support ourselves and, and people like yourself. I appreciate, I appreciate that. And, and um, I think you're, you're, you're spot on with the community aspect. And, and I think at any point in time, should you, um, you know, need me or Tibu to help you know, or to do talks or to try and engage the young entrepreneur community. Um, I think we all have that responsibility to play that and, and, and we're very much on board to do that. So don't, don't, don't be shy to, to reach out as well. Definitely, definitely. And I'll tell you one final thing I'll tell you, the community is just not local. We also have international reach. We have people all over the world who, well, mostly in the tech entrepreneurship innovation world where we're yeah. building uh, that network. So we have people who might be interested potentially in in um, talking to you. I'm not, I'm not like I said again. I'm not promising anything, but it's a, it's such a strange time that we live in right now. The world yeah. has flipped in the last one month. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're building this. Our vision is to make Nairobi the place where great African brands are launched from. That's yeah. that's our vision. So okay. yeah, we're, we're we're building that local and global community. So let's do it. All right, Jason, thank you so much. I know you got to get back to work. Good mm. luck with everything you're doing. We should definitely um, continue the conversation. And thanks again for your time. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It was a real pleasure. Have a lovely day. Right.